This episode is powered by denmeditation.com. The meditation is the primary focus. The bigger goal is for people to understand and love themselves, thus creating more harmony in the community at large. To find out more about Den Meditation's teacher training programs, retreats, and all things Den Meditation, go to denmeditation.com. Welcome to Den Talks Podcast. I'm your host, Hal Rabinowitz, and the founder of Den Meditation. We have a treat for you guys today. We have Kimberly Schneider on. She is a New York Times bestselling author. She has written six books. One she actually co-wrote with Deepak Chopra. Um, she just recently came out with one, You Are More Than You Think You Are, which is a beautiful reminder of your true self with actual activities and exercises that can help you release fears and remember um, where your true power actually lives. She has her own holistic wellness brand. She is a nutritionist. She's a meditation teacher. She's a mom. This conversation is really light and breezy, but has so many teachings in it, which is what I love about it. You will walk away with a renewed purpose of how to step into your own power. We talk through loss, through loss of her mom. We talk about dark nights of the soul and moments that are really, truly hard reckonings with yourself that she had even after, you know, coming out with six amazing books, which is just a reminder to all of us that sometimes you know, even though we feel like everything's perfect, we still have shit we got to deal with, right? And so she's such a beautiful reminder that that is normal and how you can get through it in a way that you're actually growing through it and it's not holding you back. I really think this is a beautiful episode and one that we can all take away so much from. I hope you enjoy it. Stay tuned to the end. She leads us in a beautiful meditation and a practice um, that will be very helpful for all. Thank you so much. Namaste. So you're a big mountains person, huh? You know, it's funny because I have a lot of Vata energy. I've learned from studying Ayurveda and I used to live near the water. We used to live in Venice beach and I would do this beach walk every day. And at the time, you know, I moved from New York, I moved from the East coast. So it was this you know, exciting to live near the water. When we moved to LA, I was drawn to it, but then of, you know, five years ago, a lot of things happened in my life. My mom passed away really suddenly and I broke up with uh, my ex, moved out. Um, and it was at that point I moved into the mountains and I just felt called somehow, you know, our bodies have this wisdom. And so it just felt really grounding. So now I do a walk in the mountains every day. It feels very settling to me. So I feel that the mountains have called me. I love the mountains. I get it. No, yes. but speaking of kind of your life five years ago, that leads us into the question we like to start with all the time, which is if you could use or find a word to describe yourself five years ago and a word to describe you now, what would those words be? Wow. So I would say five years ago, I was unsettled. Mm. And today I would say I'm aligned. <laughs> Doesn't mean everything is you know, perfectly aligned, but it means that I've, I've found a, a real deeper connection to the true self. So a lot of the anxiety I used to feel, a lot of the seeking outer validation, which was reflected in my prior relationship. It was reflected in, you know, my work has shifted a lot in five years. And it feels that even on the tough days, we all still have tough days. I, I feel like I have 
a place to go. I have real tools inside of myself. So it feels like the biggest growth in my life has been over the past five years. And, and I would say even the last six months, last year, even since publishing my last book, I didn't expect that, but there's been a lot of, um, deeper realizations that have happened. So it's amazing how the spiritual journey keeps going and going and deepening. Well, I love, I mean, absolutely. And that's what I wanted to touch on because it's, you know, five years ago, you were very much in the space already. You were already doing this work. So I want to talk about a, what you just said, like, so you just came out with, I think it was your sixth book, right? Yes. So, I mean, it's not like this is a new book, like a new endeavor for you. You've already been a very established, successful author. So this is your sixth book. So talk about what about publishing that sparked this deeper change all of a sudden where you feel like there's been more evolution for you in that sense. So I never really think, oh, it's time to write a book, right? I I wait for spare. I wait for that spanda, that inspiration. So this was in the pandemic and I was 34 weeks pregnant with my second son. Mm. So I was trying to slow down, you know, thinking about wrapping things up so I could take my 40 days at least, which I didn't do with my first son. I was editing a book with Deepak Chopra three days after I gave birth. Right? So you learned the second time I said, I'm really going to take this time off. So I was 34 weeks pregnant and I just, I felt it come down this idea. So actually I, I did reach out to Deepak and I told him, Hey Deepak, this idea came through and he said, Oh, this book belongs with Hay House. Previously I had been with Random House and HarperCollins. So he connects me with Reed Tracy, the president. And he said, well, wh- what's your book about? So I tell him three days later, Tal, I'm doing a Zoom to present the idea. I wrote one sample chapter and then I wrote, and then I signed my book deal three days before Moses was born. Whoa. And then then I did take my 40 days. I actually took 60 days and then I started writing and it just poured out of me um, in a way that the previous five books never did. There was a very different energy in this book. Um, and this book is called You Are More Than You Think You Are. And it's really about taking uh, my guru, Paramahansa Yogananda's teachings and showing the context and the applicability and the usefulness, the practical usefulness for modern life. And it was different than my other books. I would say it's a you know, more purely spiritual book, although those elements had been in my prior books. So I'm writing this and you know I'm going through thousands of pages of his teachings and I've done all the lessons. I'm a Kriyavan, but his commentary on the Gita and on the Bible, right? It's like thousands and thousands of pages. And so I'm writing it and we have this incredible launch, you know, it was really exciting, you know, uh, February. And then I started, um, all this other stuff started coming up afterwards. It wasn't huh. actually in the, it was, I think, you know, things were shifting and coming. And then I just started going so deeply inward, even in the last year, like all these things started coming up and um, realizing where my ego was still at play, realizing where fear was still at play. It was like in writing the book, it was taking me deeper on this journey. And then afterwards, um, I'd had a couple you know, really deep, dark nights of the soul. A lot of just, um, you know, keep, you just, like I said, it, it's, it's amazing how layers keep coming off and just really seeing ourselves more. So, well, you know, the third eye continues to open. Always. But talk about what those, <laughs> t- talk about where you were noticing the ego still connected. Talk about what some of those dark nights of the soul were for you. 
Cause I just think it's so important. Yeah. Like, I think most people would be like, Oh, she figured it out. She's like been on her spiritual journey. This is book number six. She's best friends with Deepak Chopra. She's written a book with him. Right. She's done this. Like she's passed all that. And that's why I'm kind of pushing here because I think oh, it's yeah. really important for people to realize like it's continuous and it just keeps going. So talk about it yes. a little bit. So we all hear that, you know, we are, we're, we're whole and complete as we are. In fact, there's a chapter called you are whole, and it's about mm -hmm. reclaiming our wholeness beyond our behaviors. Where we can still feel a lot of shame and guilt, but it is a journey to really, really embody that, right. To really feel that wholeness and completeness. And what was coming up for me is, um, still this grappling to be seen, to be validated from the outside. Mm -hmm. So I, re I read this book called Your Body Keeps the Score by, um, I think I'm saying it right, Bessel, Bessel van der Kolk. He's Danish. Good name. <laughs> and he's, he's talking about trauma. And I never really thought of myself as experiencing trauma, but he was saying how 75% of Americans experience trauma. And it's not always an acute event, like a car accident or, you know, some, you know, one specific thing that happens, but rather neglect or just, you know, ways of not being seen by your, your parents and your caretakers. So, um, as I looked back on my past, I have amazing, you know, had amazing parents. My, my father is still with us. He's actually staying mm -hmm. with us now, but they were really hustling. They were working a lot. And so I was really a latchkey kid for a large part of my life. And so I was left to my own devices and I was always trying to vie for attention and love. You know, I can process that as an adult. And a lot, and one of the ways I would do that was through my, my grades. I was obsessed with being mm. number one in my class with getting a hundred. If I got a 98, I would beat myself up. And so it was this outer validation that was so deeply embedded in me. And then as I became, you know, an author and, and started working, it was like, how many weeks can I make the New York Times list? You know, the bestseller list. Like, how, like it's, it was still all this stuff and all these numbers were really feeling so, um, like there was this part of me that was driven by that still, you know, the, the, the list, just like top 10 in my high school class. It's like these bestseller lists and all this, you know, these other ways that I was um, looking to be seen. So I think these dark nights of the soul were, were forcing me to really look at what is really driving you. There's this part of me that I can say, yes, you know, it really is about sharing, which has been the, you know, big, huge, the foundation of Saluna Beauty Detox, my brand. And I love that. It feels very natural to me to just, you know, that's how my first book came about. I've been backpacking for three years around the world. And I came back and wanted to write this book about really, you know, self-care and taking care of yourself and detoxing. And it just flowed. Not as much as the sixth book, because I'd never written a 300-page <laughs> book before, but there was this flow. And so that's a huge part of it. But then I, I was feeling this like pushiness and like these familiar feelings of anxiety. So afterwards, I had at least three or four dark nights, like times where I was on the floor and just kind of needed space. And I was like, what is going on in me? And it was this, these ego deaths. You can die a thousand times, right? The true self is always mm -hmm. there. It was just letting go. And it was really about getting to this point of, um, you know, not giving an F more and more about out here, not in the sense like we don't care about each other, but it's not this attachment, right? It was just like, just, I could just see in my life, you know, I, I worked with a lot of celebrities before too. Like that was part of the seeingness and, and going and, and, you know, all this stuff. And so I could just see um, my work with my clients shifting. I could just see a lot of things 
moving inside of me. And what's really interesting about the spiritual journey, it's not linear, right? So you nope. think, oh yeah, I've done this. And I wrote this book with Deepak and all this is great. My meditations are going great. And then in the middle of that, in the middle of this incredible book launch, a few weeks afterwards, I was feeling like this really low place. But it, there is, it is true. And when, when we go through the dark, there is so much light afterwards and there's so much clarity and lightness. And so I just was integrating, I think a lot of, um, you know, old mechanisms, fear, just things that were inside of me. And I'm not saying there won't be more dark nights, but I would say this year, 2022 was my year of most profound growth. Wow. Personally. What do you feel like the fear that underlying it was driving it? So the fear is like being seen, the, the fear underneath, oh, I want to be seen, I want to be validated, is that you're not lovable. You're not worthy of love. You know, when I really dig underneath and I'm a big journaler as mm -hmm. a writer, you know, I, I really connect to the written word. So I love to read. I love to write. I love, I have pencils and pens. Like I really like to see, get it out of my head. And so I really sat with this a lot. I find writing very therapeutic in this way. And I kept digging underneath. There's a practice that uh, I teach in the new book called fear versus truth or wisdom. And I literally do this in my journal where I write what I'm feeling. Oh, I just feel so awful right now. What if people don't like this? Well, they don't like what I'm writing. And then I, then I write to myself truth and wisdom because it's inside of each of us, you know, come from your heart, the right people, well, you know, it just goes back and forth. So I'm talking to myself and underneath it, like you're asking underneath, I could see, Oh, you just don't really believe, you still don't believe that you're really lo lovable for you. There's still that belief. And the more we can see it, we start to integrate. We can start to self-soothe. It doesn't go away overnight, but really seeing the root is such a huge part of healing. And I didn't see the root for a long time. It's so interesting. So I <laughs> no, I, I marked that part in the book because I love it too. And I teach a lot of stuff like that also of like, have a conversation with yourself. And like, if you don't think yes. about it, the answers come so clearly, but so talk a little bit about how you pulled yourself out. Like, so one of it was like just seeing it clearly, right. And acknowledging that it existed. Yes. So for me, when I'm going through that, um, I find it even difficult to, to meditate. Right. So it's mm -hmm, just like, same. you know, so for me, it's one, one breath at a time. And I, I clear space, you know, I have two young children, so it's, you know, when one's in their napping and now my older one is in, in school, but I communicate what I'm going through with my husband and then I just go through it. Whereas in the past, it didn't come up so much because I would, I'm a, you know, a doer. Oh, well, let me do something Same. to make myself feel better. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go on a Walk. walk. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna. Distra I'm gonna write something. I'm gonna work. But this time, over the past year, I realized there's something coming up that really wants to be processed. Who knows how long it's been in there? So really, um, looking and feeling and going through it, which I think most of us aren't taught to do, or taught we're supposed to be happy. We're supposed to do things. We're supposed to make ourselves feel better. But really, there are times where all we can do is breathe and feel. And then it will pass through eventually, right? We have right. to feel it though. That's part of digestion, right? It's like we digest our food. We need emotional digestion as well. And so it sounds like you're really close to your dad and you were close to your mom. Talk a little bit about, 
you know, for some people, it's really difficult when stuff like that comes up and you start going and, you know, your, your analytical mind can become part of it. And as you kind of said, as an adult, I can process the fact that as a latchkey kid, you know, my parents were doing the best, but inherently they weren't home enough. So like it made me kind of at times feel like you weren't important. So you were trying to seek validation. So when you get into this kind of dark night of the soul that is spurring from that and you are so close to your dad, how does that shift things in those moments with your dad? How do those conversations go? Because I think for a lot of people, it's really hard. Like, what do you do? Do you try and explore it with him or do you handle it only on your own? Do you take it out on him in some of those moments? Like what happens? What does that look like? So there's the part about, you know, processing my childhood part with my parents, which I did years ago before my mom passed. And this is when I was writing my third book called The Beauty Detox Power, which is really about line chakras and, and where food cravings come, like specific energies we're trying to seek. And there were some pivotal moments I could remember as a child, like when I came home with a test, that was a 98 of seven, everybody else didn't read the book and they failed. And my mom said to me, why didn't you get a hundred? Oh, right. I used and to get that was, all the time. Right. And, 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 and then later I processed with her. She said, well, I was, I was trying to be funny, but I actually took it as I'm not good enough. So years ago, I mean, oh, interesting. You know, I actually replayed some of those scenes with my mom and then she hugged me. And she said, I'm so proud of you. So it was almost like we rewrote the script. Mm. So I processed things with my parents. I, I, I can honestly say I didn't have any anger. It was completely clear with them. So then we go back to the real journey, which is with ourselves, right? It's very easy to fall into victim mode. And to some extent, I was for a while like, oh, it's my parents' fault. This is why I had problems. They didn't love me enough or they didn't see me. So now I'm like doing all these behaviors. This is why I pick partners. You know, but we realize ultimately we, uh, you know, as, as yogis, we believe the soul picks what it needs to grow, right? We pick our parents, we pick our mothers. And so the work that I've been working on has really just been focusing on connecting deeper to the true self underneath the ego. So when we have these experiences as children, especially the ego can be really strong and say, but this is how, this is what, this is how you've gotten love. This is how you've been able to be seen. This is how you've been able to survive. So I would say now that the, the battle is with, myself and I have you know, complete neutrality with my parents. It's amazing mm. to see my dad and you know, just all love, all forgiveness. I can see they were really doing their best. They had stuff too. And I look at my grandparents, I'm like, oh my God, you know, like you got to like, trace the lineage back. So now it's really like living it. I have the tools, you know, I, I wrote this book and it was, you know, seeing Yogananda, the yogis, the great ones, the masters really laid out a path for soul realization. It's up to us to do the practices. It's up to us to face the fear. It's up to us to face the darkness inside and to bring the light to it. So before, like I was saying, I would run from the dark and say, well, this doesn't feel good. So let me shift it. Let me do something to make myself happy. Now I realize integration is where we go past happiness into bliss. Because it means that no matter what's happened to us or what will happen or what arises, we have such a deep grounded connection to what is really real, what is steady, which is the soul, the true self. So now as the the dark nights were coming, because I think I was allowing myself to unlock, and then I had the tools to bring the light 
to the dark. So I'm not, you know, the dark is there. I'm letting it be there, but I also can hold space for myself. Well, I mean, it's amazing because I do think for a lot of people when it starts unraveling, you know, and you talk about this in the book a little bit too, you know, this idea, which, you know, I try and always communicate as well as like events are events, like things are, yes. things happen. You know, you don't want to tell anyone that trauma didn't happen, get over it. You know, it's like, no, things happen, but we do tend to wrap a lot of stories around it and we tend to have a hard time letting go. And it doesn't mean by letting go, you're pretending something didn't happen. It's like, they can both be true. Like something could have happened, but how do you move on? So it's kind of this idea that you can have had these moments, you know, growing up or whatever the situation was, and you still have the ability to move on without having to hold on so tightly. Um, and like you said, play the victim. So talk yes. a little bit more about that kind of the idea. And you said you actually like rewrote like with your parents, um, yes. the script, but talk about that idea of like, yes, things happen and they're facts. They're actually true, you know, parts of your life. No one's telling you they're not true, but, but then what? Yes. What then? Exactly. Exactly. So, so that was, you know, a tool that helped me at the time, like I was saying, was rewriting the scripts, processing it. But the most powerful thing, then there's a second layer of that, which is where we are here in a physical body. We know that, right? We're having an embodied experience. We're breathing into our body. We know that we can see our, you know, look in the mirror and see our, our skin and our bones. And then we have this spiritual part of us. We can call it true self, the soul, spirit individualized inside of you your heart, your intuition, whatever word you want to use. So there's physical and then there's spiritual. And then in the middle is the tricky part. In the <laughs> middle is the mind, right? Oh, the yeah. egoic thoughts, the, you know, the Zen monkey mind, whatever you want to say. So what I found to be really healing in this process or the very powerful in this healing process is to fuse more the physical and the spiritual. What that means is you learn that there is a difference between feelings and thoughts. The thoughts are what you are seeing, the story. This shouldn't have happened. I blame this person, you know, da, 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 da. That keeps the energy alive. What I learned was to drop into my body and actually face the sensations that were mm -hmm. arising. So it's like, ooh, like this, this feels so heavy. I'm so sad in my heart, right? Or like, oh, this tightening in my stomach. That's the energy that gets encrypted from these past experiences and the trauma. So this psychologist that I love very much, Dr. David Hawkins, mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, um, but he writes about if you can sit with those really intense sensations, they usually last only 10 minutes or so, as long as you don't go into the thoughts. So if you can face those early sensations and, and things, they start to clear out like, like you're digesting food, literally. If you keep thinking while you're doing it, I mean, it can lead to thousands, millions more sensations. It keeps it in your body. So one of the, th one of the most important tools that we can learn is learning to distinguish thoughts and feelings. And then I feel the feelings. And this is something that was happening in the dark night of the soul, just feeling intense sadness mm -hmm. that I was unfamiliar with, like depression, almost sometimes rage, letting that pass through. And when I say bringing the light to it, bringing this um, deeper awareness, breathing of, you know, I'm okay. I can get past this, the soul, right? And not going into my familiar pattern of blaming, projecting the thoughts. So it's connecting the physical and the spiritual more, which is, you know, for me has been a really powerful path to healing. And that's, you know, what I teach in the book. The mind is the tricky part. 
the mind keeps us in stories. The mind keeps us small. The mind blocks our creativity. The mind, you know, keeps our us in lack instead of abundance. And once I started to realize this, this is why I think it started coming up to be healed. These deeper things that I had really just pushed down. And so I can say today, I'm not, you know, I don't think we ever get fully healed. I think that's what life is, our, our journey here. Yeah. After going through those dark nights, Tal, I can say, oh my gosh, like there's, I feel the most joy I've ever felt, ever. That's amazing. No, <laughs> yeah. I get that. And this is possible for everybody. Well, that's why I'm so excited. It's like when people go on a diet and lose like a, over a hundred pounds, it's like you're, and there it's they feel better for so many reasons, you know, psychologically, yes. but also you're physically not holding on to that weight. And I do feel like when you, when you do energetically something that deep, that work, same thing, you've just let go. Like you were saying of encrypted stories, you've let go of stories that have been affecting your energy field for God knows how long could have been forever. You could have come in with them. And so all of a sudden you have like new flowing energy that you just never had the space for before. You know, it's funny how um, when I started my career, my so my first book came out over 10 years ago now, 2011. I mean, I was, look at you. Well, so it was, <laughs> no, but you know, it's amazing. Thank you, love. But it was, you know, it just, it was this flow, right? I was, I was backpacking and then I came back and I didn't have any money. So then I was starting to teach yoga. I was teaching asanas and, you know, going back to nutrition school. And then I just started this blog, you know, free blog. And it was just me pouring my heart out. And the only person I told about the, the only people I told about the blog were my yoga students. I didn't know anything about SEO marketing or anything. And then it started to spread through New Nobody York knows City. anything about SEO marketing. That's the problem. I was like, I think that's more like a car shop looking under the trunk. It's right. like everyone pretends they're tinkering and they know what they're doing and then they charge you for it. But like nothing really changes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I hear you. I hear you. Um, but keep going. But, there, Sorry there, there, there was, but you were telling your no, students no, it's, about it's, the blog. Yeah. So it was just this, um, like this, this flow, right? It was just kind of like, yeah, like just kind of putting things out in the world. Um, and there's a reason I'm telling you this story, Tom. We'll get to it in a second. But uh, everything just started to grow. Suddenly the people were reading the blog and I got my first book deal. And then, you know, it's going on Good Morning America. The, the, I didn't intend any of this stuff. It was just this natural flow. And then my first celebrity found me. And then I got on a film set and I was just like sharing, right? And then all of a sudden I'm working in Hollywood, right? Mm. And I'm like working on all these celebrities, all these people. And there was these years I was really questioning my life. I'm saying, why am I here? I don't own a TV. I still don't own a TV. I don't watch movies. I'm, I'm like, I'm sensitive to light and, and noise. I don't connect with screens, right? I, I love to read, but I, I do not watch any movies or anything. So I was like, huh. I mean, and, you know, my friends are like, oh my gosh, you're working with, you know, Channing Tatum, he's so hot, or Reese Witherspoon, <laughs> or all these people. And I'm like, it doesn't really mean anything to me. They're just normal people. people. So yeah. I'd ask Spirit, I'm like, why What? Why am I here? You know, and then, you know, I kept getting these these feelings like you you go where we tell, you know, where, you're, where you can help. And so I was working, they were hiring me to, to get fit, to get ready for movies, to get their gut working, to look good. But I was practicing with them what now I've put the language around the four cornerstones, which is my philosophy for our brand, Saluna, food, body, emotional well-being, and spiritual growth. So very organically. Yes, I was helping them with their diet. Yes, I was cooking their food, but I was holding space. I would sit in the kitchen with them and for hours and hours we would chat. I would, you know, there was this space for processing, doing yoga, 
with them, right? And, and meditating. And it was this very holistic approach. So when you were talking about someone losing a hundred pounds, the reason this triggered this um, mm -hmm. memory in me, I helped uh, a, you know, um, a big celebrity lose 80 pounds. And I was his 14th nutritionist and he had never been able to really sustainably keep the weight off. But we were working in this way where there was childhood stuff coming. I'm not a therapist, but again, holding space, teaching someone the difference between feelings and thoughts. Even back then that was, you know, coming up and I was, you know, doing my Kriya lessons for the first time. I was already with Yogananda Guruji. I had found in India while I was backpacking. So I was working in this way and it was really working, but I was always saying it's not, you know, food is like 10% of this. It's all this other mm -hmm. stuff. Right. And so then it kept unfolding now into the sharing in the new book. But I say this because when we hold on to those stories, this is one of the reasons there's so much inflammation in the world today. I believe yeah. this is one of the reasons autoimmune weight gain for all the biohacking devices for all the diets out there. People are really struggling with their bodies. And the reason people are struggling with their bodies, your bodies are trying to, they're holding this energy because we're not processing. Again, it's like physical and spiritual can really come together. We have to heal the middle part. We have to bypass the middle part, the thoughts, mm -hmm. and understand that there's this deeper way to live that's coming from our intuition. It's coming from inside of us and overthinking, overanalyzing, all the thoughts running around. We have to have tools to manage that. Otherwise, we never really get to our healthiest most, you know, most highest vitality, we always will feel dragged down. And so with like your client who you lost, helped lose 80 pounds or anyone in that regard. Yes. When stuff's coming up probably for the first time, childhood trauma, whatever it is, and you're teaching them the difference of feelings and thoughts, are you giving, it's basically what's happening. You're teaching them how to sit in that feeling and not redirect for the first time ever. Is that what it is? Part of it is like giving them the space and the tools to not cover up that feeling? Yeah, so there'd be a lot of um, anxiety, right, with the clients, it, it just seenness to like times a billion, right? It's like millions and millions of people are watching you in gossip magazines yeah. and all this stuff. Awful. That's a lot for anybody's nervous system. So at first it was, you know, really taking these teachings from Yogananda and what I had learned in my yoga training of, we need to regulate your body first. So, so much of that is like people are disconnected from their body and they don't even know their heart rate is going really fast or they don't even know that there's something going on mm. in their stomach. They're just like, how can I fix this? Let me reach out to my publicist or let me do this or da, 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 da. versus it's the first lesson is really getting in. We need self-care is self-soothing first. Like we need to get your breath back before we even talk about this. So those were some of the, you know, the lessons, getting them on the mat, stretching, Right. Some of these men I worked with never stretch. They're, the body holds so much physical energy. So it was really just connecting people back to, you know, what what's going on in my space because we're up in our heads so much. And then that's why people feel like there's no time or this goes so fast because we're always in the past or the future. And then it's like, where are we? And so know, part of that. So interesting. It's really powerful on this, you know, this, this level of anxiety shedding weight in an easeful way, which I've helped, you know, thousands and thousands of people with is, you know, some of these tools we're talking about. And isn't it funny that you're saying the first thing you do in that regard is teach them how to breathe. 
teach them how to breathe, teach them how to see what's going on in their bodies. And you know, that, that body connection, that, that deep connection to yourself, what it also helps us create is healthy boundaries, which is so important in feeling this deep strength and resiliency. So before I'd be like, oh, you know, these different people are in my house. I have to sage after they leave. I have to clear space. You know, I would teach yoga. I'd stretch people and I kind of like flick their energy off. I do my Reiki protection symbols before it was like people could get me. You know what I mean? That's kind of like a, a thought that I had. And then we realize no one's, no one's going to like get you. Of course, there's people we're more drawn to and there's people that we're repelled by. But ultimately, when we create really safe space in ourselves and we create these healthy boundaries, there's a different kind of resiliency that rises up. Um, and one of the things I was finding with my clients and people was they were actually holding fat because they were trying to create this protective layer yeah, yes. between them and their, their work or them and you know other people or whatever I mean, it was. That is so fascinating. I mean, you should just repeat that again, because I think a lot of people do that. It's oh, like yeah. Oh, it's, hold so we, we need to realize that things are not as linear as we think they are, right? Calories in, calories out. Like I list, I get my to-do or my goals and then I'm automatically happy, right? It's like we look, we look at things in this, this linear way. But really, it's, it's all energy, right? So food is energy, um, fat is energy, our, you know, so our nervous system, when we think about what fat is, you know, there's a part of it in the myelin sheaths in our nervous system, and fat has this protective quality, it's an insulative quality, it keeps us warm. And, you know, when we, when we want to um, feel good when we go outside, we, we bundle up when it's cold, we're putting things on. So, you know, people have been befuddled for years, you know, I'm, I'm slashing all this stuff. Like, why can't I lose the weight? Because the emotional, right? The energies that are still circulating are actually encouraging your body to keep this on. Like mm. you need it like a cult. The hug. So when I was working, yeah, with people and, and, and all different kinds of people, I think that was the strength of those years where it was, you know, going on press tours, all we would be in Europe sometimes a different country every day and living with clients for four months at a time during film shoots. It gave me an opportunity to really work with so many different types of energy and different types of people and learn so much. Yeah. And it was amazing when we start to let go of the stories, we start to let things come up and heal. So we're integrating, we don't need to hold. There's a, there's a huge effect on the physical body. You know, it could be weight. It could just be more aliveness, more vitality. So when your hair starts growing back, your skin changes, mm -hmm. there's a glean in your eyes. And I talk about this in the, um, the new book, which is in the chapter called You Are a Powerhouse, because Yogananda talks so much about, you know, the true source of vitality and how we ignite that fire, the light of spirit inside of us. Otherwise, we're just so much in the fear and the lack and the ego all day long. We don't even know it. Right. So we're just dulling ourselves. And, and you were saying in the book too, how he talks about how the self-reliance, how that spark yes. is within you. And then therefore you don't need the others around you. And again, it's not like siphon yourself from other people, but it's this intense need of, again, of not letting those stories dictate, like, who are you without all those stories? Yes. So there's a big, there's a big difference between connection and attachment. So mm -hmm. what we're saying there is you can be so deeply connected to your loved ones and to people, all people, right? This giant circle of 
all her brothers and sisters. But attachment is of the ego. Attachment's saying, I won't be happy until I find a partner or until this happens or I need this person. If they leave me, I'll, you know, I'll never be okay. You know, I learned that really tough lesson when my mom was taken in six weeks. She, we found out she had cancer on Valentine's Day. And she had no symptoms, right? No symptoms, nothing. Like she was, she was with us at Christmas and she was perfectly healthy and walking to the beach with us. Nothing. The most energetic person I ever met. And then my, my birthday is February 6th. And I remember my dad calling me on the 7th. He didn't want to call me on the birthday, my birthday. And he's like, mom Hmm. doesn't feel well, you know? And so I flew back the next day to the East coast, um, from LA and where's home for you. I found her in bed. So I grew up in Connecticut. Um, and at the time I was living in Venice beach. So anyways, I was, you know, holding her hand when the doctor called and said the C word for the first time on Valentine's day. And what was she feeling? She just wasn't feeling. She was exhausted. She was feeling like, you know, she was bedridden. Um, there was like pain in her abdomen. And then, you know, it went from, well, you know, we're going to get her into the best cancer center which, you know, for her type of cancer, UCLA. So we got her in and then it was like, well, I can, you know, fix this. I, you know, I, I work with people, I work in wellness. I know what to do, right? We're going to do this. We're going to cut this, da, 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 all the protocols. And it went from, well, you know, she's going to heal to, oh, maybe, you know, she isn't. And I'm going to lose my mom like really young, like way before I thought I would, you know? <laughs> and then it went to, one day I remember going to the hospital and they were like, well, you know, the fluids and the, she's not taking protein and she's probably, she's going to live at most two more weeks. So it was like this head spin, right? It was, then she passed March 29th. So it was literally six weeks. I mean, that's so that, crazy to not feel anything. No symptoms, nothing. Wow. And then, and then boom, stage four cancer, right? So we realized this, you know, this, this delicate nature of, of life of everything that's out here, everything that we're sensing in our peripheral nervous system can change. And that's a harsh reality, right? Everything we see with our physical eyes, everything that we see in the mirror, everything we see online, everything we're hearing, it can change, right? So that's not where safety and security is. If we're trying to get it in that relationship or we're even trying to get it from our family, whatever it is, you know, we can, there's a line between being overly attached so we can love, we can be connected, but at the same time, we have to find that anchor inside of ourselves and that anchor is the true self. And that's, I mean, huge statement to say when you're talking about like your mom, who you were so close to, to be able to recognize no matter how much I love her, I have to be able to do this myself. So it was really hard because, you know, my parents had been together for like 40 years and my dad couldn't handle it. Right. Mm. So I had this baby Emerson, my older son, who wasn't even one years old. So I was like holding him in the carrier, talking to the doctors. My dad was like checked out. He was like down the hall. He couldn't, you know, so I was like taking care of my dad. My baby was like crazy. And then, you know, she passed and it was like, um, I looked at my whole life and I was like, this is not what I want. Meaning, you know, the, the father of my first child, we weren't getting closer. There was like, it was kind of felt like a surface relationship. He was a great guy. He is a great guy, but it wasn't this closeness. It wasn't, you know, 
what I wanted exactly. in life. So, right, you know, soon after that, I decided to leave and become a single mom and move out on my own. So I was a new mom. I lost my mom and now I was a single mom. And that was when the biggest growth started to happen. Like I said, at the beginning of our conversation five years ago, this is five years ago. So I'm sitting there in this house and I write about this in the book. I'm crying in my closet every night. I'm like, what, what, what is my life? I never thought this would turn out this way. I'm half Filipino. My mom's from the Philippines. She came over in her twenties in the Philippines. Divorce is still illegal, right? It's like this big stigma. Like you like, you carry what? that in your genes carried in the ancestral mm -hmm. shame of failed marriage, right? So I'm sitting there and then I met with a monk from the Self-Realization Fellowship, Yogananda's organization. And he said, Kimberly, he's like, just treat your home like an ashram for five months. He gave me a protocol, five months. And so that's what I did. You know, I took care of my child. I was working, of course, but I read scripture and the Gita and the Bible and, um, you know, the sutras. I just went back into all the scriptures, the Yogi Pradipika, and um, I was starting to study Ayurveda. So the Charaka, Samhita, like all these texts, I was meditating like crazy. And I was looking for that anchor. And this is when until I realized I never really had an anchor right inside of me it was always like i said validation oh look at you you're this big author you're working all these celebrities oh look at you you're in this perfect relation like did it it was always out here so this was really my rock bottom this was the first deep dark night of the soul right it's like i yeah. lost everything but after five months i'll tell you i really did it I started to rise up and i rose up in a way it was almost like unrecognizable to myself i had this actual grounded resilience. It was starting to feel my root chakra. And mm. I realized I never had a root chakra. It was always grasping out here. So then it was like, oh, different sense of trust. Trust is a big word because if we don't have trust, we're always in fear and we're always in lack and they're always trying to get somewhere and we're never getting there. So I just started to move around then. I was like, okay, I'm gonna leave the house again venture out. And then I have a, a podcast as well. I feel good podcast. And, you know, a guest randomly, um, who I didn't even know, it's not like I was friends with him. He invited me to this dinner party in Venice. And I was like, okay, I'm not doing anything Friday night. So I went and, you know, just open in my, in my, my world, <laughs> my, you know, this groundedness. And then when, you know, I started talking to someone and it was just this instant soul connection, not looking, not that attachment, like, oh, I need to find someone or whatever. And then, you know, lo and behold, this turns out to be John, soulmate, hubby, life partner. Oh, wow. I mean, it was just, it was, it was like that. I was like this, this, this flow, right? Are you close but to it, the guests now that was on the podcast? No. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Never, never again. Then he moved to Texas. He moved to Austin, right? So it was just like, he was a mutual acquaintance of both of us. That was his purpose. But it was just like, you know, spirit sets us up in these in these different, you know, sort of like how I met, I've been corresponding with Deepak who had reviewed my my books. But then I, I, I you know, it was just this, this manifest, like spirit put him literally in my path and we ran into each other in the street. I was like, Deepak, it's me, Kimberly, you were my mom. You know, then we really connected. <laughs> sat in a coffee shop for two hours. And that's when we decided to write a book together. And then we wrote the six pillars of the book. 
So we, this trust, Ta, like this one thing I, like I used to micromanage, I still micromanage, right? That's the egoic principle of trying to control. But the more we let go and connect, this trust rises up and spirit arranges things so much better than we can for we ourselves. Can. The, the control is so, it's, it's an illusion. It's so futile. It is amazing. Talk a little bit about, because you know, so much of what the base of this stuff is like fear. You talk about that a lot in this book and you have talked about it a lot today. It's fear, 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 and how do yeah. we get rid of it? But what's interesting is, you know, you, what I love that you've been so honest about is kind of how, yes, you did all this work, especially when your mom passed. And then all of a sudden, five years later, you were down, you know, at the bottom again in a really dark yeah. way. Talk about, you know, talk about how fear itself is, is it moves and it shifts. And sometimes you don't even yes. realize it's there for like some people, like they start experiencing fear with aging that they never experienced before. So talk about mm. kind of that idea of mutability of fear. Yes. So I, you know, five years ago was when I first started to understand that, oh, I, I don't really have an internal anchor. Right. And so it was this grounding. It was, it was, you know, taking back my power with fear. What I came to realize is it's not that we aren't going to have fear because we're humans, but it means that with courage, we meet the fear with the light. So what that means is we don't identify like, oh my God, this is all me. Like this is, I'm getting swept up into this. We, we start to witness and say, wow, fear is here with me, but I meet it with the light. I meet it with this groundedness of the true self. And that was so healing. I started to practice it. So fast mm. forward five years, like I was saying to all this last year was really tough. I think because now that I'm in this place of more integration, these old memories and these things were starting to come up and it wasn't just fear. It was deep sadness, mm. right? It was like just grief and sadness and these other feelings that I hadn't really felt before as well, because I had pushed down so much just to keep going and keep going. So you know, fear, fear is part of it. Um, but all these big emotions, I think that we don't want to feel, we just turn away or we distract or we, we kind of like try to control things in our life or in our life or we pick really safe people and relationships or whatever our mechanisms are. But then it doesn't really work because over time, and you know, Deepak says this too, one of his quotes in one of his books that I always resonated with. He says, you know, you're not going to stay in a relationship for long or you're not going to stay in a situation for long that doesn't feel natural. Right. So if we're in this contrived life where we're set up and we're trying to protect ourselves from feeling these deep feelings and the deep pain that only goes for so, so long. And then something else is going to come up, whether, you know, pushing down illness in the body, inflammation, or just, you know, insomnia, something's going to come up and push us forward to say, mm -hmm. Hey, you got to look at this. You got, we, we got to integrate this. We got to process this somehow. How going back to your mom for a second, as yeah. you were smack, like you said, you're in the wellness space. She came to UCLA. I mean, she came to you and it's like, I'm trying to think of how I'm trying to ask this. What do you feel like you learned the most? Because I do feel like, especially you're a nutritionist from the holistic space. And at that point, you were already in nutrition. You were already full on, right? At that, just making yeah. sure I get the timeline correct. So what did you feel like you learned the most or had to let go of yes. certain principles that you had in your head of healing, what healing and wellness were, and then seeing your mom go through something like that? Surrender. 
Number one thing, surrender. There is so much that we can do as humans, right? This is what alignment is. This is what true manifestation is, is where we align our will with spirit's will. And so at the beginning, I was praying, please, please heal my mom spirit. You know, please God help her get better. And then the shift happened, you know, over the six weeks, this whirlwind of six weeks where I could see that she was really suffering. Mm. And I could see that her body did not want to get better. So then my prayers changed to thy will be done. I pray for peace for my mom. Thy will be done. And it's funny. I'll share something really personally with you is that I had a painting made six or seven years ago. It was an image that I had a really strong download of my meditations where was the gurus, you know, Yogananda, Swami Sri Yukteswar, the lineage, Jesus, Krishna, there's six in the, um, in the lineage. And then it was this, this feeling, this deep feeling like I was Hanuman and, you know, Hanuman was inside of me, which is you know, the, the, the iconography, the archetype of the monkey, monkey God, uh, God, which represents the perfect servant to the Lord. So in this, in this download in my meditation, I was in the forest and I was offering a book to the light. So I had this artist put love and healing by KS. Like I was offering, I was offering this to, to spirit and to the gurus. Mm -hmm. After I went through this experience with my mom and that, that five month period, what I really learned was surrender. It was, you are not in control. And also there's something really much greater working through you. It was a deep, deep humbling. So I actually went back to the artist and he repainted over the book. And mm. instead of saying love and healing by KS, I had him put thy will be done. That's, total That's the ultimate surrender. We can intend, we can say, this is what I want to manifest and what I want to create, but ultimately, or your will spirit, like guide me to the highest and best thing. Thy will be done. It's not our will. So it was not spirit's will for my mother to live. And the biggest lesson was I cannot control this. I can give her all the most amazing, you know, plant-based foods and antioxidants, and I can do the Reiki healing and all the things and all the tools, but ultimately we have to surrender to the will of spirit. And that was the big lesson. And my whole life transformed from that deep realization. I was still, here's my offering. And that's great. And that's a, you know, that's part of it but it's not really me, right? It's like, there's still ego in that. I'm doing this. Then mm -hmm. we realize thy will be done. Guide me. You know, one of Yogananda's prayers is I will will, I will reason, I will act, but guide my will, my reason, and my actions. That's where real realization, that's where real, like I said, manifesting, that's where flow, that's where bliss comes from. We're not just these isolated little beings, like, let me do what I want. But when we really pray in this way, and this has been my experience, thy will be done, so much strength and intuition rises up and fear really clears because you realize I'm not doing this for me. Spirit is in me. Whatever happens, I'm going to be okay because I have spirit in me. The true self is in me. And I'm, you know, I'm here to serve. Talk so there's about a part in the book. Yeah. Tell where we talk mm -hmm. about purpose. So what true purpose is, is number one, self-transformation. We're here to grow, to align to the true self, right? The first part is let me find who I am. 
this is why I'm here to work out that in my human embodiment. But the second part, as Yogananda teaches us, is service. After we connect to our unique voice and our gifts and our spirit, how do we take those unique gifts and help others? How do we serve? So we're in this flow because we're all connected. And this is one of the biggest, the lesson we're here to learn is oneness. Mm-hmm. Oneness means I'm you, you're me. So service means we're, we're breaking this bond of this limited little me, this little ego and saying, everybody is, you know, connected. Let it, let me share my, my gifts, my knowledge, my wisdom, my resources, anything I can. Let me connect first, transform myself, align more to spirit. And then we serve. Hmm. When you changed your prayer. <laughs> no, I mean, yes. it's a lot. It's like, mm, it's mm, a lot. Mm. I know that was a little, no, yes, in a great it, way. No, in yes, a great way. It's so like thrive off of this shit. Yes. Yes. I do. Trust me. Um, when you changed your prayer to thy will be done yes. in those weeks leading up to your mom's passing, what changed? Oh, everything. This is when real strength started to rise up. That continues to get stronger. You know, we just keep the process going. I mean, it's so scary, so terrifying to be a you know, and my heart goes out to single moms everywhere. All, you know, the, the experience of having a young child and leaving on your own for me, it was terrifying for so many levels, you know, financially, um, just how I was being seen, the shame attached to it, fear. I would never be alone the rest of my life. I mean, there was so much fear, but when we give to God, we give, we surrender, I will be done. This isn't working out. I will be done. I will find a way through my connection with thee. You are down on our knees with life is so hard. This is so challenging. Thy will be done. It's deep, deep trust. It, it, made, it, made, it made me realize I can get through anything. Mm. I can get through anything. Did it give you relief with your mom at all? Like, so the, the process of grief is a, you know, it's sort of like meeting the fear. What I found in grief, and I had never lost someone close to me before, is that you meet the grief again with a light. You don't push it away. That big weak grief of wait, wave of grief comes. You let yourself feel. You let yourself cry. When people hold on to grief, you meet people that are so sad about someone for 20 years. They're not letting themselves really feel, I think. You know, it's, you know, I can't judge everybody's experience, but for me, it's so painful to feel that deep loss, hmm. but then it's digesting it. So I just kept letting it come and I had, you know, letting it come, letting it come. And then, um, you know, it comes sometimes when you're not expecting it, like in the middle of a talk or a podcast, <laughs> I can start crying. Of course. But then it does feel, you know, like you're digesting it. So I, I feel really connected to my mom still. And my say, you know, my son, Moses, who's now two, sees pictures of her in the house. He goes, oh yeah, Lola. Like he knows her. So I know she comes to him. I feel so connected to her. And then we realize, you know, in that moment, I was so humbly, I'm so grateful. I got to hold her while she passed. My dad was a few feet away. She was in my arms and I watched the breath stop and then i could feel spirit her spirit just move mm, just so move moving. to the other side of the bed so it was the god reassuring me love does not die 
you know, our conception of things transforms and shifts. We have to learn non-attachment. We have to learn surrender. And sometimes these really hard lessons, but the love is always there. All the support, all the love we need is there inside of us. Yeah. It's so interesting. It's like, I really hit home with my child all the time that, you know, we lost a lot of dog. We have a lot of dogs. So How she's old is she? She's now seven. So she's in first oh. grade too. She just turned seven. And, um, because we've lost a lot of animals, mm. I've been able to like have those conversations. And it's funny, she's very emotional. So I'm sure as things get closer <laughs> to her, it'll get harder. But she has a very um, lovely relationship with death and transformation. Mm -hmm. She's like, so her friends all broke down hilariously. I mean, not hilariously, beautifully, I should say more than hilariously. But I went up, this is a very funny story to get to tell her friends, it's time to go. There were three girls, all seven. And I go up, I'm like, what's wrong? Like normally they're all crazy. And two of them are just sitting there bawling. And Levy's mm -hmm. just, and Levy just matter of factly was like, they're just real upset over the people they've lost. And I'm like, okay, what is that? So I sit down and one had lost a grandmother. The other oh. one lost the grandmother's cat. They're bawling, <laughs> they're crying. It was, it, and by the way, they're seven. And I thought it was actually really beautiful. They felt the space was safe with the girlfriends at such a young age. But you could see Levy being like, but they're here. You can still, it's just different. Like you could hear yes, her saying incredible. all the things, which was very funny. Um, and it's interesting how, because my big thing was like, we were all raised with so much fear around that moment, whether it's for ourselves mm -hmm. or when someone we care so deeply leaves us understandably. It's like, you don't under, we don't know, no one can tell us exactly what happened. So I, there, therefore there's so much fear. And then the idea, there's so much attachment, like you said, those people being around you and what does it look like without them? Um, and I always wish, I'm like, I wish if we were raised in a different way of thinking about it, how we could, obviously there's still so much grief and sadness. I don't think that goes away, but how to be able to, what you're talking about, look at this transition in such a different way. Yeah, exactly. Look at the transition in a different way, which is connection, not attachment, like attached to, oh, this is how it was. And I could call my mom every day and da, 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 right. It's not going to be like that, but I'm still connected to her. I'm still connected to love. Do you still talk and to I'm, her? Oh yeah. I mean, I, all the time. I, <laughs> I just feel like she's always around and she's, there's always little messages. Like, you know, I, I, I you know, the buttons press on your phone sometimes when it's locked or it's not locked. And the other day I was, I just looked down and it was, said calling mom, you know, like her mm. face and her name came up right on my phone and it's always these little things. But there's one thing I really wanted to share as well about love because I, there's so much, so many questions we get in the community and, and friends. And I'm sure you see this around a lot too, in the world of dating apps and everything. I, I want love. Like I want to meet a partner. I want to find mm. the person. And when I emerged from that period, like I said, the love was inside of me. And I can say that for the first time in my life, it wasn't from making the bestseller list or, you know, the top of my class. It wasn't because someone was telling me I was loved. It was actually inside of me and it was trans, you know, that was so transformational. So what that means is you're activating love as a source inside of you. There's a lot to say about this. There's a whole chapter in the book called you are mm -hmm. love. Or Yogananda tells this beautiful story about this Himalayan musk deer, which in India, you know, in the spring, it secretes a musk from its abdomen. 
and it's it's very you know invigorating and stimulating and so the, the deer's looking everywhere for the musk and it's under rocks and around trees and it's running around like crazy and it can't find the musk so a lot of the deer some of the deer actually throw themselves off the cliffs to their mm. death because they're so agitated or they you can't find it they just frenzy they, they don't know what's safe anymore they just run off and they they go to their death all the while the sack the abdomen, the, the, the musk is inside of them. So I realized that's how I had been looking for love. We won't get into it all now, but my history with partners and like not getting that closeness because I hadn't connected to it inside of me first. So I really found it. And then there wasn't this attachment of, oh, I need to be in the relationship or I need to find somebody. It was this deep, I'm good, <laughs> right? I'm well, good. it's funny because you talk about, you said briefly when you were talking about your ex, how, you know, it just was a little surfacey. It wasn't, it, it didn't, it wasn't growing the way you wanted to. It wasn't quite deep. Right. You weren't having that depth. In looking back, not that I'm saying you want to get back together with your ex, but in looking back, are you like, oh, do you think, was it you in that sense? Like, were you preventing that depth? No, I think it's, it, it's where I was at the time and who I you know, attracted at the time. So at the time it was like, oh, you know, sort of like here's life, you know, and we were, um, well, you know, we both worked in Hollywood and we met through celebrities and we were going to premieres every week and do these Hollywood parties, like doing all this, this cushy life, you know, and living in this big fancy house. And, um, and we had the same friends and so it, it, it worked. This is like me and my ex almost exactly. exactly. You know, yeah. and then it was like, but it's not, it's not, it's not fulfilling. It's not really, again, I, I mean, nothing bad about him. He's an amazing, amazing same. human, but together the mix of us wasn't evolving. So then I was, you know, just, I had found this source and I was just kind of like surrendered. And at that dinner party, I, you know, I ran into John. So on the surface, and I also chat about this in the book because I love to share this. If I was in my ego, I would have been like, I would have gone right by him, right? So it's like, how many times do you go right by your soulmate? He, you know, is different than me. I'm plant-based. He's a, you know, big carnivorous meat eater, <laughs> completely tattooed, except for his neck and his face, had a gold grill in his teeth, was looked like this MMA fighter, like a very like different guy that I had ever been attracted to. But we started talking and it was like, Oh, I feel my heart, right? Mm. It was like this connection. I was able to drop out of my head because of that work I had been doing. It wasn't so controlling and overanalyzing. Like, does this person fit into my world? Yeah. Like, like my contrived egoic sense of self. Uh, I mean, don't you, when you hear people be like, they need to be this, they need to be this. And it's like your whole body constricts because you're like, oh, you're just never gonna. Yeah, it's, it's ego's it's, ideas of partnership yes. and love. But the truth is, you know, when we find it inside of ourselves, we, we feel it. We just you feel it. You see it in other people. And you can really feel this intuitive connection, which isn't heady, right? It's 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 here. It's, it's in a deep way. And so, you know, right away, it was just an incredible connection. It continues to get deeper and deeper. Now we've been married for over three years. Wow. And Congratulations. Thank you. And, you know, we, we were, you know, we were starting out, um, you know, in, in a sense, his business was building and now it's like, so before it was like, I could save in this safe little world and have this, 
you know, big fancy place in Venice, but now what we've created together, like a home in the mountains, it really feels like me. We, you know, bought a farm together in Hawaii. We're barefoot with our kids. We're growing cacao and honey, we've got a million bees. It's like, this is the life that I always wanted. But if I stayed safe, if I stayed in my egoic headspace, could have kept going in that other life. It would have been okay, but it wouldn't have been what it is, which is blissful, connected, ooh, like that juiciness of life. And I, think I mean, we can all get to, right? We just have to keep letting go. <laughs> I mean, I think that's so important though, the getting out of your ego, especially when meeting people or date, because when you're saying talk about love, even in dating, I feel like people yeah. go into dates with such like a checklist already in their head or such a judgment, it makes it impossible for anything to just flow. I always yeah. say that all the time. I'm like, just go on the date and just be excited to like learn something about this person. At the very least, like just connect with them as like a friend that you have to like have dinner or drinks with. And then I feel like you have such a much better chance of connecting in a deeper way when you're not worried about, do they look, what's the job, where do they come from? The sort of things I need, are they available? Do they want kids tomorrow? Like. <laughs> all those things. Yeah, it's exactly. Like so yeah, it, 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 like what you're describing is, listen to, listen to how heady it sounds. So remember we said there's physical, there's spiritual, and then there's this murky in between egoic mind, which we're going to have, but we want to make sure we're not always driven by the ego. So when we are in the space of love, wanting to partner, whatever it is, whatever it is, right? We want to be open. We want to be open because it's these conceptions and these ideas and this beautiful um, book that I love so much, the Tao Te Ching, which I also read over and over again by Lao Tzu, you know, this ancient from ancient China. He's saying essentially some of the same things in the Gita, which is let go of your ideas and conceptions. That's where real flow comes in when we are open. So what happens when we're open is we will feel the intuitive physical messages from our body. Let's say like you're saying you're on that date or I'm talking to John, instead of evaluating his looks, I'm feeling really drawn to this person. Like the values are there. The love is there. The connection is there. Or you could be on a date and you say, you know, deep down inside, I don't feel the connection. It's not there. It's repelled, but it's not coming from the head. It's mm -hmm. coming from this deeper place and that deeper guidance will lead you right. So you guys went on a date right after that? Okay, so we met at this party, right? And we're talking, it's amazing. And I'm like, okay, I gotta go. It's like one in the morning, which is really late for me. I'm, I gotta go, or one or two in the morning. I'm like, I gotta go because I do a beach walk every morning at 7.30, back to what we were saying. I used to walk on the beach every day, um, which is another quick thing I'll say. I was doing yoga asanas every day. I didn't have time to do both on my work schedule. But after I lost my mom, I felt that I needed to ground. So I would do this barefoot walk every day. That became my primary movement. I just needed to feel the earth. So anyways, I was saying to him, okay, well, I do a beach walk. I got to go. He's like, well, well, I'll come on the beach walk. And I was like, really? Because it's in five hours. <laughs> like, okay. Let's see if he shows up right on time, 730. He's at that spot where we said we were going to meet down near the pier. Were you surprised? I like, yeah, I was like 50-50. I don't, I don't know this guy. I don't, I don't know if he's going <laughs> to really show up. He shows up. Okay, Tal, we go for a two-hour walk. And it's amazing. Like, we're talking about life. First question he asked me is, are you open to having more children? And I was like, yeah, I'm open, right? So then we just chat and we chat and it feels amazing. So we come back. And then I had this feeling again. 
the intuition. And I said, hmm, I said, I don't usually do this. I wouldn't usually invite a guy, you know, to something. And again, there's a conception, misconception, like, oh, the guy has to be the one to initiate. But I said, I'm speaking tonight or you know, have an event for Levi's because I had a partnership for Levi's jeans and I would do speaking and things for them. So there was an event I think it was Jaden Smith's birthday. It was this like party, but there was something I was doing whatever. It was at the house of Strauss in, you know, West Hollywood. And I was, I said to him, it's going to sound funny, but do you want to come with me? And he said, yeah. So then he comes with me to this event. So it's three times in 24 hours we've hung out. Okay. Wow. And it was amazing. And we kissed Sunday. We texted a little bit, didn't see each other. Okay. Monday, we go to dinner and Monday night, he says, I love you. Right. It was like that in three days. And I didn't say I love you back. I'll admit I was just like, oh, amazing. But I, you know, I wasn't, wasn't quite ready yet. How did you feel when he said it? I felt amazing. I felt didn't maybe there was some out. fear. Or not. Yeah, no, it didn't freak me out, but I was like, oh, amazing. And so things, you know, progressed and um, we were married in, within two months or two wow. and a half months. And the funny thing is I started meeting his friends like this is before I met anyone. And all his friends said from the beginning, he said, I will never get married. He even went in for a vestic. I will never have kids. He went in for a vestic to me. He didn't go through with it, but he's like, I don't perpetual bachelor. I'll never do this. And I said, well, that's funny because in three days he told me that he loved me. And by the end of that week, he brought up marriage. So again, we do and not ask you about know. kids day one. Exactly. We do not know how spirit works. We do there time is this linear man-made thing. Your life can change in a second, right? Mm. When we are open to spirit's plan. It doesn't have to be the way it works out for other people. That's why this openness and this trust is so important, I think, to manifesting your best life, because spirit knows, you know, so much more. This divine intelligent will weave your life in this incredible way if we are open to it. I mean I feel like we should end there because that is, <laughs> I don't know how to get more uplifting or enjoyable than that. That's incredible. And it's true. I mean, that's such a perfect example of get the fuck out of your head. hundred percent. And we hear these cliche, you know, it sounds cliched sometimes like we hold ourselves back. You are the biggest enemy to yourself, but you know what? It's wow. true. The ego, that part, the little self, what you need is inside of you, like these qualities, the, the magnetism, the abundance, the peace, the love, it is in there. But like I was saying, if we're always in peripheral nervous system, it means our attention and where we're trying to get those things is always external. It means we're always triggered by what other people are doing or social media or whatever it is. So the practices, the, the teachings of Yogananda, what I'm really bringing forth in this book is that we turn our energy and attention at least part of the time, but consistently every day into our central nervous system. So mm. we're going into our spine and our brain, which is where Guruji teaches us. This is where the true self is. This is where spirit is inside of you. So you're magnetizing your spine. You know, all our energies there, the chakras, the Kundalini energy starts to flow. And then this grounded place inside of you transforms your external world when you live more from this place. So it can be taught, it's a process. I don't think I'm, you know, I know I'm not as special or different, you know, going through these teachings, 
means every a, a universal truth means it's true for every human. We all have this potentiality. We all have this spark. We all have the light of spirit inside of us. So we can work with that. Well, I do love in the book how you constantly throughout the entire thing have activities and you know, exercises practical. people can do to make it practical. So like you were saying, yeah, it's one thing to read it and be like, okay, great. Sure. The power lives within me, but then how do you access it? How do you cultivate it? How do exactly. you find it? And you've given everyone a million ways to do that. Like I was even like, oh, I'm going to do this. I want to like discover <laughs> my depths of fear and like go through. Yes. And there's so many great, really great, simple techniques that help you, um, really learn more about yourself. So like you said, you can discover your true self. I will exactly. say before we get off, because one of my yes. favorite lines in here, which I found fascinating, um, was when you were talking about, well, there were a couple of things, but when you were saying how, and it's right off the bat, you say it where, you know, what you learned when you started, you know, studying the Bhagavad Gita and with that, it's basically tells you, you are more than you think you are. And you said, oh, the words my mom has told me, a million times. And as a yes. mom, I just giggle because yes. I'm like, does it matter if we say this over and over again to our kids? Like, cause sometimes like you were saying, you heard it growing up, your mom had echoed it over and over and over again. But until you took this turn and picked up the book and read it, it almost did not take, like it did not resonate. Exactly. So exactly what you were saying, Tal, about we hear these ideas, right? So I love Eckhart Tolle right? It's like all oh, the power now, a new earth. <laughs> like this sounds really good to me, right? Like I get it. I want to be in the now, but I was, it wasn't practical to me. I was like, well, what do I, like, how do I really do this? Do I get now? 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 So I loved it because what it is, why I love it, why we all love it is because we can recognize truth. But truth, like um, you, you hear these words, your mom's saying something nice to you, you read something in the book, you read the Gita, you see that's truth, but truth is not useful until you apply it to your life. And then it becomes realization, which is the central mm. message of Yogananda, self-realization. Otherwise, the truth isn't really useful. So my goal with the book was to say, okay, here's the truth of, you know, what scriptures and what spirit is saying here through these gurus, but this is how you realize it in your life. Here's an exercise. Here's a meditation. Here's a mantra. Here's how you effectively do affirmation. Here's how you actually live it. Because otherwise, again, it's just, you know, something that we read in a book. It's like something you can put back on the shelf. Realization is starting to incorporate it. And it's small, tiny steps. It's not this big thing that has to happen. It's okay. I'm going to sit to medit meditation every morning for three minutes, for five minutes. I'm going to do this practice when I feel, um, you know, and do this before I walk into a room to increase my magnetism. I'm going to do this to reduce my fear. It's these tiny things keep us going and aligning more and more. I love that. And you're going to give us one of those in your personal practice, but you are a light. I mean, it, it you are, it's funny. You talk a lot about how, you know, get out of that murky mind. Yeah. I feel like you were put on this earth because your mind is so strong. Like clearly you're <laughs> so brilliant. No, but it is. Your mind is really strong. You're very brilliant. You obviously read Thank a lot and, and can internalize what you're reading. Um, and then you have the ability to then teach what you've internalized in a way where other people don't have to get stuck in their mind. So it's almost like mm -hmm. it's fascinating that you're teaching people how to let go of the mind by using the strength of what your mind actually is. It's um, true. 
<laughs> yeah, no, in a great way, though. Obviously, you're very connected. I'm, that does not take away from your connection to spirit and to yourself and all of that. But it is beautiful how you've learned to use the tool of what can get in the way. Um, and you yes. were given the gift of a very strong one. You know, it obviously operates very quickly. And um, and it's it, you are a light because you do it in such a delicate, delicate's not the right word. Light is the best word. There's like a lightness to how you give these very heady um, mm. concepts. And mm. I feel like, and that's what this book does too. And all your other books. And just, you can tell just as you speak about it with such lovely um, nuance. So I just appreciate Thank you, you so much. The, no, of course. I appreciate <laughs> you taking the time to be here and, you know, help continuing to help, as you said, and to serve. Mm, thank you so much. It's just been such an honor chatting with you and getting to share. Mm. Thank you so much for holding space. No, thank you. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank so you so much. Stay tuned. She is going to lead us in her personal practice in just a second. Okay, so now Kimberly is going to lead us in her personal practice, which is an expanding the gaps practice with a meditation. All right. So, Please come into your comfortable meditation position. You could either be cross-legged with your hips elevated on a cushion or a pillow, or if you prefer, you could sit in a chair with your feet flat on the ground. Whichever position you choose, please take a moment and lift your spine. Take a couple deep breaths in and out through your nose. So our goal in meditation is to create more union and more union with our true self, with divine, with spirit, with the universe, however you like to conceptualize it. And we create this deep, deep union and stillness. So the yogis teach us that when we start to experience true stillness, it's actually in these tiny little micro gaps between the breath, between the inhales and the exhales. And then we can start to expand that stillness. That's what we're going to do in our practice today. I'm going to lead the count. It's going to be very simple. It's going to be a beautiful flow. So just stay where you are and continue to take deep breaths. And after your next exhale, we're going to inhale for a count of four. So go ahead and inhale. Two, three, four, and then pause full at the top, nice and relaxed. And then gently exhale for four. Two, three, four, and then pause empty at the bottom. And then inhale, two, three, four. Once again, pause full at the top. Then exhale, two, three, four. Pause empty at the bottom. And then inhale, two, three, four, pause full at the top. 
exhale. Two, three, four. Pause empty at the bottom. One more round. Inhale. Two, three, four. Pause full at the top. Exhale, two, three, four. And then just start to breathe now in and out. Normally, but deeply. And then with your eyes closed, bringing your attention to your third eye, keeping your eyes closed, which is between your two physical eyes, just a little bit higher, half an inch or so. And then just imagine a warm white light there. You can say a simple mantra to yourself, like peace, peace, peace. Just feeling this profound moment of stillness, inner focus, peace, 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 peace. Now we're going to move our attention, our awareness down into your heart. And now feeling that incredible light, your heart, imagine a big white ball of energy and light in your heart, radiating out 360 degrees. And then we'll bring our hands together in prayer pose or Anjali Mudra right in front of your heart. And we'll drop our heads for a moment to close in gratitude. So feeling anything and all things that arise spontaneously from your heart. To be grateful for, deeply grateful for. And also simply for being here being alive, for being breathe, breathing unique creation of spirit here right now. As you're ready, you can start to lift your head up. Om Shanti, Namaste, peace and love.